So now I get to introduce my friend Carl. He's going to preach today. There you go. He's got a bell, so this is going to be fun. <laughs> Thank you. Pay no attention to the bell until the time is right. Oh, papers. This is called dead air in the business. That's right. So um, I really believe there's a lot of value in reading chunks of scripture. This is something that Jeff brought for a long time. And recently, uh, my last module of grad school, we had an assignment where we had to read a whole letter of Paul and then summarize it in one sentence, which is terrible, but also amazing. And it makes... For those of you who maybe struggle with Paul, it makes Paul a lot better. He's like, wait, what's the big picture, Paul? Because you're kind of freaking me out with a lot of this little stuff. But what's, what are you really getting at? What are you, what's the big picture? So we're going to bite off a really big chunk of Scripture today. We're going to do all of Matthew 6, which is fully a third of the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Um, Jesse said this could be by itself like a college class. You could do like a semester on Matthew 6, and we're going to do it in 30 minutes. Um, so, you guys ready? Let's go. I'm going to read it. <clears throat> I'll cough into the mic. This is Matthew 6 uh, from the New Living Translation. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice your fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Where, uh, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. 
Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food, more, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. When I read that, I want to look for what's the theme? What's the theme of that whole big chunk of Scripture? And to me, reading that whole section of the sermon, it's about letting go of control and trusting God. Letting go of trying to make things happen on my own and really trusting God with, with my life, with our lives. And I'm going to break this down. I'm going to go through this section. Um, and I, but I want to read the whole scripture again and another translation at the end. Um, and so I've broken the chapter into sections, and I'm going to go through each of them. But I don't have a lot of time. And so I have given myself a countdown timer for each section. And we have here a little bell. When I run out of time, the bell will strike, and I'll stop, and we'll move to the next section. So it's a little game show this morning, okay? Jesse is going to help initially uh, with the bell, um, uh, and, I, and I'll help because she's actually going to lead off here in a moment. Um, hopefully this is kind of fun. That's the idea. For the anxious amongst you, I'm real sorry about the next 17 minutes. It's only 17 minutes, and then we're going to slow way down and chill out. So just, uh, you know, pop whatever you pop, bite the knuckle, and we'll make it through together, okay? So um, it's helpful sometimes. Uh, if you happen to have subject matter expert uh, in your family uh, who has a, a PhD in theater history um, and you want to talk about things that are relevant to theater. So will you join me in welcoming Dr. Jesse Glover. I have two minutes starting now. The word for hypocrite in the passage comes from a word of Greek origin. The word of is hypocrites, and it emerges in the 6th and 5th century BC during the emergence and the golden age of Greek drama like your Oedipus Rex and so forth, right? The word hypocrites is the word for actor. 
uh, hypocrites directly tra or close to directly translates to English as the interpreter from underneath. So in other words, it is um, actually meant to distinguish from earlier modes of storytelling that we're just sort of recounting stories. An actor is someone who is interpreting and embodying a story, giving you a point of view and a perspective on a story. The underneath part is the mask, right? So the actor is the interpreter from underneath the mask, using the mask to help amplify and communicate the story. So this starts in the fifth-ish century BC. And uh, with the growth of the Hellenistic or the Greek Empire, which encompassed and included the country of Israel, theater spread, the culture of Greece spread, the language spread, and the use of hypocrites changes a little bit from being just a, a word for actor, someone who's interpreting a story in front of you, to being more like its common usage now, right? Which is someone who tells you one thing, but underneath they are something else, right? They are pretending to be someone else. Um, it's partially because theater gained a little bit of a, a unsavory reputation in its travels beyond Greece. Right? So, Hippocrates gains its modern interpretation as being a space where people are having to grip onto or live into a performance in order to have any kind of meeting in the world. The first section I'm going to talk about is this praying, uh, giving, and fasting. There are three different chunks there. Do you guys remember that? The uh, references are up if you like to look things up in your Bible. And what I want to say is what it says. What giving is about is not being seen to be giving. What praying is about is not about being seen to be praying. And the same with fasting. These things are not performances in the acting sense. And that's where we're using this hypocrites word, actors. Like, look, I'm doing the giving now. Um, in many ways, these things are all inward focused. Now, giving has a side benefit of people in need get resources. But in many ways, the benefit of giving is internal in that you are giving away your resources. You're letting go of stuff in a powerful way. This is true for prayer too. When you're just praying to God, it's a relational thing that happens as internal goodness. Um, sidebar. Okay. So uh, if you remember, it says um, the, the hypocrites have received all the reward they're going to get, and then the, the, your, your father will give you the reward if you do the thing in secret. I just want to be really clear here. This is not a delayed gratification experiment. This isn't like if you wait, you get two marshmallows instead of one marshmallow now. This is not special treats from God. I have bad news. In heaven, they're not better houses, despite what anybody ever told you. We all have paradise together. That's the thing that you get. Um, so it's not a later reward. The reward is having done the thing and transforming yourself in your relationship to resource and control yourself. The reward is, oh, I am trusting God. I don't have to maintain my reputation. So maintaining the reputation for the hypocrite, it, that's a reward. Look how cool I am. That works. Even Carlton said it was great, but you can do an internal thing, which is better. Who are the Gentiles. So um, we have, this is echoed a little bit later. We have a section that says, don't babble as the Gentiles do. And later on, it'll say like, as the nations do. The word in the Greek is ethnikoi, means ethnic, ethnicity comes from this. 
It just means nations, but the point here is it's the other nations who are not the Jewish nation. And the point of that is all of this, Jesus preaches this sermon, by the way, I should have said. Um, Jesus is presupposing his audience knows the character of God. The other nations don't know who God is. And so they are trying to control and manipulate. That's the nature of their relationship with gods or God as they understand it. But the Jewish people should know that God loves them and is caring for them. So that when we talk about who, like the Gentiles, these other nations, it makes sense that they, they are confused because they don't know God like, like the Jewish people do. I think that was early, I don't know. <laughs> Praying isn't about willing. I give myself a whole extra minute for this one. Uh, I think that for me at least, looking cool is something I gave up on a long time ago. Um, and so the acting like, behold, I fasteth. Like, if you see me disheveled, it's just my natural state. I didn't, like, I'm not showing off. But this thing about prayer is something that I struggle with. I think we were taught, some of us, to pray fervently, and we have interpreted that sometimes as saying, if I show enough, like, gusto, I can really, like, make this thing happen. I can, it's like, almost more like a, like a telepathic, telekinetic power. So I'm just going to, until my nose bleeds, I'm going to pray. And this, I think, is a fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of prayer. Uh, it's not a psychic power, sorry. Um, and it, God is not, I think, and there's, this is debatable. There's interesting scripture around this. What does it mean to convince God of things? We could talk about it, but I don't think that what he wants from the relationship is for us to really get into it. Now, at the same time, I don't in any way want to step on an authentic emotional engagement in your prayer life with God, right? You might find yourself coming from the heart genuinely begging God for something, and you think you should if that's what's inside you. You might find yourself in the midst of panic or fear repeating yourself, you might find simple prayers that you're speaking over and over again. I think that's coming from an authentic place, and I think that above everything, like being honest with God about what you want and, and feel like you need is the most important thing. I think growing into trusting God is part of what we're talking about today, but I don't think there's anything wrong with being emotional and with being uh, imprecatory, like really, really getting into it and begging if that's what's in your heart. I think it's about not trying to, to force it with your will into being. Um, it says, don't be like the Gentiles who babble, who do magic spells. <laughs> um, they think their prayers are answered by repeating them. Your father knows exactly what you need. We need to learn that in our prayer. It's not going to come right away. I had extra seconds, so I was just, uh... yeah, go ahead. The Lord's Prayer. Oh, I, I'm going to give myself 10 extra seconds. Um, the Lord's Prayer is about letting go like this whole, it's like a microcosm of the whole section of Scripture. Uh, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. This is a focusing outside of ourselves on the holiness of God. May your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. This is, I don't want my will on earth. It's not, may I be the king. May you be the king. 
May I have things your way here on earth. Give us today the food that we need. This is the rock bottom basics of aliveness. <laughs> like, God, can you, I want to rely on you so that I can not die today. Can you make sure to take care of, of my food? And I think an implication of, of the other basic needs, the physical needs that we have. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I love, the trespasses is probably the best, most literal uh, 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 translation, I think. The word is to follow closely uh, and then to stop following closely in the Greek. So to be like following God is you're just right next to him and then when we trespasses, we just kind of, we wandered off a little bit. He went up this way and we wandered off. This is the trespassing. You're on the wrong land, but it's more about you left your guide. And so we say, God, help us get back on track when we get lost. When we, it's the same word for, as a leave. It's often like leave throughout the scripture. When we leave and wander off, can you help us get back on track? And then likewise, help us to forgive people that leave us, that have gone off track with us, which just makes sense. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. I like this translation better than lead us not into temptation. That's a terrible translation. God doesn't do that. We're just really likely to mess up. We get real confused. So this is, God, don't help me not to mess up today. Help me and save me from evil. Sidebar on forgiveness. The, what follows is Carl uh, Betcher's opinion and not uh, necessarily the opinion of Central Vineyard Church or subsidiaries. Um, there's uh, transactional language here. If you forgive those who sin against you, your father will forgive you. Um, for starters, it's weird to think that there's some kind of slider, like, okay, he's at like 30% forgiveness, we'll forgive him 30%. And that's weird, and also, what would that even mean? How do you get sort of forgiven by God? You're forgiven or you're not. What this is about, I think, is if you are not in a posture of, of forgiving others, of real, and that's, forgiving is just letting go. You can't receive the letting go-ness of your own transgressions. You're in the wrong space to do it. You can't get forgiven if you aren't forgiving because you don't, you're not in the posture to receive it. So it's not a trick or a hack or a slider. It's about what, uh, uh, being in the posture of forgiveness, losing time to turning pages. Treasures in heaven and two masters. Okay, you guys remember this section? Uh, don't store up your treasures in, in, on earth where, and I love how it's poetic and specific. It's like, do you know how, like you had some cool metal stuff and then it got all rusty and now it's ruined? Bummer. <laughs> um, you know, and you had that cool, you had a, maybe some CDs in your car and, and somebody busted your window and took your CDs. Those are gone now. Um, very specific and poetic, like CDs. Um, but it's talking about resource here. So not specifically your gold and, and diamonds, but like, don't put your trust in the resources that you have amassed, in having money and a job and a house, like, and it points out practically, sometimes bad stuff happens to stuff. Stuff is not permanent. I, everything that humanity has ever made will one day crumble to dust, like, and now I believe in the new heaven and the earth. We're going to make more stuff by God's grace, but stuff doesn't last. Um, and so it's impractical to put your trust in stuff. 
but it's also, it's bad for the heart because it's all about what you can control. And it's going to create anxiety. You're worrying about what's happening to your stuff. And if you have enough stuff. And it turns out, how many, well, no hands, but like, I have been in a place where I'm like, you know, if I could just get a little more stuff, I'll feel good about my stuff. And I'll feel good about my, myself as a person. Um, it didn't work out. I still worry about, like, maybe I need more stuff and then I'll be happy. And this is about core longings. It's about what do you turn to to feel like you're right, maybe? What do you turn to to feel like you're loved? What do you turn to to feel like you're well-regarded or valuable to others? Where do you turn to to find meaning? Where do you turn to feel capable? Where do you turn to feel safe? Where do you turn to feel satisfied? Where do you turn um, to feel protected or harmonious? And this is the two masters part. You will cling, the word is cling to the thing that you're turning to for your, those things, those core longings. You're going to hold on to it with all of what you've got. And you're going to, and the word hate like isn't even right. You're going to disdain the other thing. Because what you turn to for your core values has meaning. It's keeping you better than alive. Like it's keeping you at your deepest longings dealt with and everything else is meaningless to you it, it is garbage ultimately and this is why it says you can't love God and money you're gonna have to pick birds and the flowers I love this because it can be very twee like and stupid if you think about it you're like the birds don't care If you pay attention to birds, they spend the majority of their life eating, right? They're eating all, like, the, that's what they're doing. So it's not about, don't eat anything, and like, wear whatever. It's, it's saying that they pursue the realities of their life in simple trust. Birds don't worry about where the next worm is gonna be, or seed. I'm not gonna get into what birds eat. Flowers don't worry about how good they look today. They just do it. They just do what's natural. And likewise, I think that God is okay with us and wants us to pursue the basics of life, to do the things that are in front of us, but to do it in the spirit of the bird and the flower, knowing that we will find the resources God is providing for us and knowing that we're beautiful. And you guys, you look great. Um, that like the flower, we just are beautiful and that we can find these things uh, naturally. We don't have to worry about them. Extra time. Oh, don't worry. Oh, okay, great. Um, so don't worry about these things. Yeah, happy taco. This is great. Luis put these slides together for me. And I said, this one is perfect because it, the taco, it's just a joyful thing, and it, I think it well embodies not worrying about what, what we eat. The joyful, happy taco, there it is to provide wondrous joy for us. Not being caught up in worrying about our resources, what we'll eat, what we'll drink. Um, I, I want to talk about worry is separate from resource acquisition. So there's the mode of like, I'm just going to get stuff, I'm going to get stuff. And then there's the mode of, you've stopped trying to get stuff. 
You're just sitting around worrying, worrying about stuff, worrying about esteem, regard. You're, it's another kind of control. It moves the control not to, like, I will take care of myself, but it moves it just into the mind of, I'm just going to worry about it. I just know I'm not settled when it comes to my core longings. I'm just going to hold on to that locus of being worried about stuff. That's how I control is just living in the anxiety of, of my uncontrol. And the scripture and Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> Try to let it go. Try not to live worried about those things. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. <sighs> we did it. That was a lot. Okay, thank you for the anxious among <laughs> for the anxious amongst you, and for creating additional anxiety, Jeff. Thank you. Um, I want to I want to return to the scripture. Uh, I read the message. This is a translation done by Eugene Peterson, and uh, he preaches it. He just straight preaches this this section. And he does such a fine job. I thought I'll just read it. And you get a bonus sermon out of it, or maybe the one that makes sense to you. We'll see. But we're going to just read this meditatively. There's no more, no more time on the timer. We're just here together now. Let's take a deep breath. The world is not a stage. Be especially careful when you're trying to be good so you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true. But that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think of how it looks. Just do it, quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God, who conceived you in love, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best, as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, for instance without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. 
when you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better sell it, uh, concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo, comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you as well. Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths or corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moths and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide with wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you'll have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than the birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, not to be so preoccupied with getting, so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Amen. Um, There's a lot of shoulds today i should it on you guys um a lot of like direct like do this kind of stuff but the theme of the piece is about letting go so it's not my intention today to ask you guys to will yourself into these things to i will pray better i won't care about things that would be antithetical to the message of letting go What I want to suggest is that the passage presupposes that someone will engage in these kinds of actions, prayer and fasting and almsgiving and things like that. And it's talking about how. And the reason for these things, I think, and a cool thing about them is, these are some of the disciplines of a Christian life. And the the purpose of a discipline is it is a way you can make a small choice with your will to to if if we're on a scale between self-reliance and god reliance the disciplines are ways you can take a little weight from self-reliance and in god reliance a little bit like giving 
If you were to give, you take some of your resource money and you say, I'm not going to just will myself into not caring about this today. That would not work and maybe be manic. But I'm going to take a little bit of my resource and I'm going to put it over here in the God Reliance side. My dad said he had a pastor once say, like, I don't care what you do with it, you can burn it. Don't, don't do that. Uh, but the point of it is, in large part, in first part, that you trust a little bit, you put a little bit over here in another piece. And these are disciplines, spending your time in, in study or with God, taking your, your resource, you give a little bit away. And these are ways you can make a, a conscious, a willed choice, not to fix everything, but to put a little deposit into relying on God instead of self. And the discipline is, and then you do it again. You choose to do it again, and you choose to do it again, to engage in maybe fasting. Fasting is powerful. Like, I'm not going to worry about eating. For religious reasons, I'm going to today say, I don't need to eat anything today. I'm going to trust my body's health to God. Don't fast too much. Um, but engaging in these practices, the weight will tip towards God reliance over time, and, and God will work on your heart in it. So that's my invitation, not to, to will a fix to these things, but to, to look for disciplines that you can put a little, little something into the God reliance side. Will you stand? Will the band come up? The uh, practice of communion is a more sacrament than discipline, but it has the hallmarks of this kind of thinking. It's about now a tiny meal, about saying that this spiritual meal is the sustenance that I need. It's about putting my trust into that, being joined with God in, the, in communion with the body of Jesus and with the community of the church. Today and historically, it's about giving a little bit of yourself over and taking in some of what God has for us. So we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion here today. Um, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. We have um, pre-packed communion for those who feel more comfortable with that up here. And we also have um, the gluten-free communion and the cup that you can dip in. Uh, Please come up and uh, participate in the communion for anyone who's willing. God bless you.